What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. This is the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm joined by Christy Penley. Hey, hey. Ben Sternke. Hey, everybody. He brought his trumpet today. We are releasing this podcast. Many of us are back to school or will be back to school soon. And yeah, you guys in Indiana, you start early. We start early. You know, there's yeah. there's people in our church who started last week. Come on. Yeah. That's yeah. a crime. That's a crime. Yeah. Well, the the thing I I used to think uh, so as well, but the thing I like about mm. it, I think our I think the philosophy is that it's like you get like a full week at fall break, mm. full week at spring break, two whole weeks at Christmas, and so it's just a little bit easier like schedule. It's a little bit more relaxed during the school year, even though you have to start right at the beginning of August, which I kind of like. I've grown to like mm. that schedule. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. It is early, I'm, though, to start. I'm old school. I would like yeah. three entire months off in the summer for me yeah. and my kids. Yeah. But Memorial Day that. to Labor Day. Yeah. 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 That's, how, that's how I grew up, too. Hmm. I think there was a law where I grew up in Minnesota where you couldn't even, you weren't allowed to start schools until after Bring Labor it back. Day. Bring it and back. And you had to be done before Memorial <laughs> Day. Pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, man. We're ramping up here. My, Sharon took the kids' school shopping this morning. Deacon, my seventh grader, had to get all his school supplies, and uh, I, I was just realizing we haven't had school rhythms, real school rhythms in our home for 18 months, almost. Right. Because yeah. we've just been cobbling together like four-day school weeks, and, and then there was a couple contact tracing home for a long time, and who knows, maybe with the the latest, greatest Delta variant, we'll be doing that again this uh, school no, year as well, but I'm just wondering. Uh, sorry, I feel like I triggered something there. For I, yeah, I did. I just, I just uh, got, ugh. <laughs> just got a really bad feeling in my stomach. I hate it. Uh, so, <laughs> well, I'm just thinking through school uh, rhythms and how those are going to be yeah. new. And actually, I'm really looking forward to having my office slash home open again. 
Mm. Free. Get some things done. Yeah. Answer some emails. Get some things done. Quiet, quiet days. That's some February yeah. 2020 emails that I'm finally looking forward to responding to. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Speaking of schools, though, uh, Jin Kim is our guest today, and he started yeah. a school up yeah. in uh, your home state, Ben. Yeah, yeah, Minneapolis. Yeah, you want to say something about it? Minneapolis. Uh, my home state? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, the school The school is called Underground Seminary. It's a theological education institution, mm. but I love, I love uh, what, uh, I love Jin's um, uh mm philosophy. Uh, I love his approach. Um, it's, he's, he's taken very seriously the, this task of decolonizing theological education yep. uh, and Christian leadership. And he has just, he has gone all the way down to the bottom, I think, in terms of just thinking through the founda- how the foundations of even how what we think theological education is yep. have been influenced by whiteness and colonial imagination and all this kind of stuff. And so, I really uh, was excited um, to hear about his vision, about what they're doing uh, up there in Minneapolis. It made me, ha- you'll hear this in the interview, but I, I've, I've been making plans uh, to oh. go and visit at least. Um, uh, at least I'm, I'm trying to figure out if, if I can make that work. I actually do think it would be uh, really interesting to go and visit and see what he's doing um, because his church is really integrally involved with this seminary as well. That's part of the decolonization. Mm. Um, and they've got a whole like, residential thing where you you're there um they've got like a community garden like it it is fascinating to me how integrated all of this stuff is and um Mm. jin jin kim is just a a brilliant theological mind that he's one of those guys that i'm just like i want to have like a meal with this guy and just just hear how uh, his mind ticks um i think i think there's a lot to learn which is why i'm uh every once in a while just checking out flights (laughs) flights to minneapolis well how much do they cost? Who wants he to go with He likes to mix me? it up. Uh, Field trip. So if you're looking, if you're looking to mix it up, if you're looking to be kind of stirred and moved towards maybe a more prophetic imagination of how we can change what oh, is yeah. education, what needs to be in, included in what we're educated, like what is what makes for education that that prepares us for ministry here in the United States of America. Jen was a great conversation. Really enjoyed talking to him. So. Without any further ado, let's get into it. it. (laughs) Janice Kim, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Jen is the founding pastor of Church of All Nations and the founder of Underground Seminary, both in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Jen and I are friends on the social networks, uh, otherwise known as Facebook. And he and I have gotten to know each other a little bit uh, over the last few years. Uh, Jen, I believe we met you several years ago at a Missio Alliance conference. Mm-hmm. In Virginia. In Virginia, yeah, right outside yeah, of D.C. Alexandria. Yep. And uh, since then, uh, I've gotten to know you just a little bit over social media. And we want to chat today about uh, some of your ministry there in Minneapolis, and specifically, maybe, or centrally, Underground Seminary and the origins and orientation of that school. But first, Jen, am am I missing anything about your bio? Anything important we need to know? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, Maybe just some uh, basic background. Um, my family immigrated from Korea 
when I was seven years old, that'd be 1975. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, you know, Cold War turmoil between uh, South Korea and our neighbor to the north, North Korea, you know, same mm-hmm. uh, ethnic and cultural background for thousands of years. And all of a sudden, uh, enemies through the global superpower Cold War. Um, so that's one of the reasons we immigrated here, not the only one. So uh, when Empire is making trouble somewhere else, you just go to where Empire is because all <laughs> goods and services flow right back to headquarters anyway, right? So I think that's kind of the logic of immigration. Kind of the eye of the tornado, oh, right? If the tornado's wrecking your house, move to the center of it and you'll be there safe. There you go. That's exactly right. Mm. Um, and, you know, you think about um, the letter uh, by Paul to the Romans. And what was that about? If not people who had their land and their water and their neighbors and their own families, you know, stripped of the ability to survive because everything was being, all roads led to Rome. Uh, That means you're going to have to go there to to survive since that's where the resources are. So I, you know, it took me a long time to understand my own history, right? Like my own sociopolitical location. Um, because when you first get here, you're told you're part of the, for someone like me from East Asia, uh, model minority. And that means you um, keep your head down. Uh, we might give you a few crumbs of white privilege uh, in exchange for your um, second, third class status, which is nevertheless higher than uh, browner and blacker people than you. So that's the deal. And that's how I was raised. And nothing in my uh, educational journey um, you know, corrected any of that, hmm. no matter how many degrees uh, you earn in this place. Um, so at, at some point, we launched uh, Church of All Nations. This was back in 2004, when I thought, why is the church not centering um, racism as the fundamental sin that prevents us from true discipleship? Hmm. Uh, we, we talk about all kinds of things, especially uh, trivial things like personal sin, individual sin, but not the, not the structural sin that is the basis and foundation for all personal sins. So why are we just endlessly, you know, captive to triage ministry and not going upstream to figure out where the pollution is happening in the first place, where all the mm-hmm. fish are getting sick, you know, downstream. Mm-hmm. So Church of All Nations was founded in 2004 to do upstream ministry right from the beginning and from a congregational foundation rather than, say, academic or NGO, nonprofit, um, mm-hmm. or parachurch, but, but through the church. And to me, there's nothing more church than congregational church, right? Mm-hmm. It's the essence of churchness. So how do we address um, the primary sin bearing down on us uh, that causes every type of re- irreconciliation, um, at the congregational level where church is at its most churchness. Yeah. And then, well, I didn't time it like this, but 10 years later, we launched Underground Seminary uh, inspired by Bonhoeffer's model um, that we founded Underground Seminary in 2014 during Obama's um, presidency. It shows you that we were uh, not in, under any illusion that... Um, we were in the clear because we had a first black president, right. but that uh, we are still fully under a white supremacist regime 
here in this country, and we need to do everything that we could to prepare um, ourselves and our people for that. Um, but we launched the seminary for actually a very practical reason. Um, we had a very robust pastoral internship program here for many years, um, drawing graduates from you know my alma mater, Princeton Seminary, um, Columbia Seminary, where I also did a degree, um, local seminaries around here, uh, seminaries in California, I mean, really all over the country and even some uh, different parts of the world. But I realized that I was spending so much time and energy um, deconstructing, uh, deprogramming the seminary graduates from very um, imperial and middle-class sensibilities that they were now expecting as an entitlement. And mm. how are they going to follow um, a, a homeless, penniless, crucified Jew if they have these middle-class expectations and they're not willing to um, sacrifice even something as small as their reputation? Mm. You know, uh, much less uh, a middle-class salary and housing and things like that. So mm. just to help them understand who it is we're following and what the cost of discipleship actually is took such an extraordinary amount of time and effort. I thought, why am I trying to undo what seminaries are doing? Why not just create a seminary hmm. and form them from the beginning? So, you know, and that's, there's a little bit of naivete in that because it's not like <laughs> people come with a blank, blank slate at the start of an MDiv. Right. Sure. Um, but, but it's still very advantageous because they're not uh, taking in internalizing all the BS um, that are conventional seminaries. And in, that, in, in the sense that the conventional seminary, seminary gives us a taste for the conventional, um, settled, compromised way of uh, ministry, I hardly see any difference between an American seminary, Canadian, Korean, Kenyan, uh, you know, Brazilian, Argentinian, Egyptian, I've, I've actually guessed, spoken at seminaries all over the world in those places, or a liberal seminary or a conservative seminary. I mean, like, there's hardly any distinction mm. in the ways that it basically domesticates the students uh, until by the time they graduate or in, and in any kind of pastor ministry, um, they're basically ineffective um, in terms of... Uh, you know, bearing good news. Yes. Um, when we bear good news, we risk our lives because that's the last thing that empire wants. Yeah. So if we're not, you know, in anyone's uh, sightline, anyone's target, that means we're playing it safe, which means we might as well like, just be working for the empire directly. Why are we doing church? Yeah. So anybody that does, is not someone's enemy, uh, does not have a target in their back, uh, is not being opposed in some way, is, is not pissing people off, um, is basically salt that is lost as saltiness, which is good for nothing than to be thrown away and trampled on. Right. So why are we now going into debt and you know wasting so many years and expending all this energy and sacrificing our spouse and children along the way to just be useless, tasteless salt? It's just such a waste of time. So we started the seminary. We're not accredited, and nor will we seek accreditation from ATS or any other governing body because who accredited them? Oh, how about, um, let me take a guess, the American Empire? (laughs) 
So a radical seminary is going to seek accreditation from the very thing, you know, yeah, right. the, 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 the monstrosity that it's already created all over the country and all over the world. No thanks. Yeah. So um, we, we'll determine at some point when we accredit ATS. But uh, they have no power to <laughs> accredit us. They're officially on notice, too. This yeah. is the, this is the moment <laughs> you go. when you're right. in public. Right. Uh, Jen, there's about 74 things I want to back up and ask about. <laughs> um, but I, I think a part of what animates you and animates your seminary and your ministry is that there has been this confusion that the city on the hill is New Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And 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 from your perspective, the city on the hill, this great American spir- experiment, has much more in common with Rome and Babylon than perhaps mm-hmm. a New Jerusalem. And you also just you kind of uh, brushed by it a little bit, but you you named your sort of your immigrant uh, East Asian immigrant e- uh, experience as maybe an artifact of that. So like, mm-hmm. you're not in the white club, but thank God you're not in the other club. So you're in this middle club that's a bit that's still second or third class. Could you tell us a bit? And it, this could be autobiographical. It could you could you could go to scripture if you want. But how did you come to see? You use the word domesticity. I would say syncretism or cultural captivity mm-hmm. of the American church under empire. How did that crystallize for you? Where did this fire in your belly come from? Oh boy, um, I struggling to you know think of one particular thing, but well, when I, when I was um, in grade school, middle school, I was bullied by both white and black kids growing up in Columbia, South Carolina, <laughs> and I was bullied differently though by those kids, and um, mm-hmm. it took me a long time to figure that out, like, what, what was going on? And um, I could have had a lot of resentment, you know, over that, um, because growing up in South Carolina in the 1970s, um, at, I remember, especially in grade school, they did racial statistics, and they would say, uh, raise your hand if you're white, and all the students raise their hands. Raise your hand if you're black, raise your hands. And how many others? And often I'll be the only person raising my hand as the other. Hmm. That was my official uh, racial category. Um, I actually thought, you know, in second, third grade that um, there was an ethnicity called other. And that was me. <laughs> so it's quite alienating, right? And that's a, that's a, that's a kind of a um, sociological crucible out of which you have to figure out what you are if you don't want to see yourself as a permanent other, right? The way that that society at that time uh, saw me. So I, I saw um, just this kind of arrogance in the white kids as if they own things. And I saw this um, grievance, I mean, grief that turned into grievance and anger um, that was spilled over in some mm-hmm. of the black kids. And just remembering my childhood and then advancing in my studies and, and then especially doing pastoral ministry and seeing those things come out in my pastoral counseling helped me to understand that, you know, kids are not individuals. They're the product of their families. 
Yeah. And families are not an individual family. They're a product of the generations and the societies and the, and the uh, swirl of history that we're all caught up in. So for me to understand my own childhood meant I have to go further and further and further back, peel off layer after layer. And I just have the kind of personality where I am not satisfied until I get to the bottom of things. Hmm. So Church of All Nations is an attempt to get to the bottom of our uh, ecclesiastical life. And Underground Seminary is an attempt to get to the bottom of our theological, uh, the mess that we're in and what kind of new theological imagination can help us to truly be a new Jerusalem that's not just, um, you know, an old Jerusalem, how do you say, lipstick on a pig? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, right. that's what most, most of our uh, ecclesiastical and theological enterprise is. It's just a kind of an apology for empire, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone's involved in uh, cheap apologetics uh, one way or another. I-, I believe that the Bible was addressing um, real problems, real issues that people were going through um, in real-time history. And so uh, when we understand what was going on in those days, it becomes an amazingly inspirational uh, witness and tool for how we also can resist empire and create genuine community in the midst of it. How do we carve out uh, community, genuine kinship community in the midst of oppressive imperial systems and do it in such a way that we become uh, a parabolic witness to the world? We don't have to be everything to everyone, but how many parables did Jesus tell? You know, uh, every local church, every seminary, Every little Christian community where two or three are gathered has the potential to be a little parable, uh, a little story that illuminates the true kingdom of God, as opposed to the imperial context that most of us are in. And then when we become a parabolic witness, then we have the capacity to inspire the whole world, even if we're just a little tiny story uh, encapsulated in a little parable. Um, That was a dream of both our church and our seminary, and it comes very much out of trying to understand um, why little kids had so much um, anger and rage that was spilling over onto other innocent little kids. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, uh, let's say that I'm, I'm interested in going to seminary, and I've got my applications out to Princeton, and underground <laughs> seminary, and I'm sitting in your office, Jen, and I, I ask you, well, there's good things about both of these programs. How would, how would, how would you di- differentiate between Princeton and underground seminary? Or why should I come to underground seminary instead of Princeton? Do you know how big their endowment is, Jen? They're offering um, me so much money. <laughs> um, yeah, so how would you give, give me the two to three minute this is why you should come to Underground Seminary. This is how we form you as a disciple of Christ. Well, I'm very well aware of, um, of Princeton's endowment because I contribute to it every year. Um, my wife and I both you know, received our MDiv for free in the 90s from uh, Princeton Seminary, so we are always grateful, and we never fail to give to our annual fund every year, even though... Uh, Princeton has has well over a billion dollars in its endowment and doesn't need it at all. But because I, as a Korean person, I operate in multiple planes of consciousness. Um, 
there's a way that um, I appreciate the conventional modern seminary that, that I would not be who I am without yeah. my training there and my formation and the wonderful relationships and uh, instruction I received. My dorm room and dorm was the best on campus and I was the closest to the cafeteria and to the uh, you know classroom building. I mean, compared to my college years, it was, it was truly wonderful. And the way that I will condemn the entire infrastructure of our modern uh, theological and ecclesiastical enterprise as just one big scam for the most part. There's a little bit of good that happens in it. Um, you know, there can even be some joy in prison, right? But that doesn't mean that it's overall a, a constructive enterprise. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I don't really feel like, you know, we need to say anything uh, good or bad about um, other institutions. We're just on a different plane of consciousness. Yeah, and I think you've used words in the past with me, like um, there's a there's a the taking taking uh, the history and legacy of white supremacy in America seriously for our mm-hmm. for our cultural formation and our spiritual and religious formation. You've talked mm-hmm. about the the colonial sort of shape of how we live and move and have our being, mm-hmm. and how that forms and shapes us into good imperial uh, students. And how uh, there's a counterformation, a counter, a decolonizing that needs to happen in order for us to live robustly and faithfully. So, how do you say that? How do you share that in a way that uh, communicates and lands for people? Yeah, and, and, yeah. No, that's um, excellent framing, Matt. I I think the kind of person that we are going to attract is someone who can um, correlate their own sickness with a sickness of the broader structures. Um, If they can track their own dysregulated body with the dysregulated state of American empire, at at least in our context. Mm -hmm. So when they can see that kind of correlation and that kind of flow between the person and the system that they're a part of, then they have the right kind of curiosity to come to underground seminary. Uh, but if they cannot make that connection, there's no point. Um, I would happily steer them to many fine seminaries around this country and around the world. Could you give an example of that? So here's here's what I hear when I Jen. What I what I um, here's how I internalize what you're saying. So if I come to you and I say um, I have all these appetites and I can't control them, they're mm-hmm. out of control, and I'm uh, I understand that those appetites are formed and shaped by an almost trillion-dollar economy that mm-hmm. would collapse if I didn't obey every impulse and whim mm-hmm. that, I, that I wanted, and I could get what I wanted when I wanted, how I wanted. Um, is that an example of what you're talking about, that like the, the spiritual sickness of me being enslaved to my desire is a, is a product and feeds the system of consumerism? Right, um, and the, the, basically the posture of consumption. Um, that this kind of voraciousness um, is is very much uh, a, a product of an out-of-control culture we're in. You know, g- we talk about growth as always a good thing, like the economy is supposed to grow. Well, something else that grows without limit is cancer. Right. And there are, there are viruses, there are, um, there are um, ulcers, there, there are parasites 
that basically grow without limit, uh, so much so that uh, when they kill the host, they die too. So it's a very, it's a suicidal thing. And I think that um, such self-destructive um, things, you know, evolved as one way of controlling uh, the population, uh, out-of-control population growth in a variety of species throughout, throughout, throughout the world. So basically we, you know, human beings, just like all other um, creatures on Earth, ebbed and flowed in terms of our population with the natural world. So when the weather was good and you know, the climate and, and uh, things were growing, then the population expanded. But, you know, ice age or floods or earthquakes, or, you know, then the population would naturally contract. And human population, just like all other creatures on Earth, uh, grew and contracted naturally with the Earth. Um, as we started to build cities and civilizations, and those civilizations eventually were, became um, colonizing uh, in, to become empires, then uh, we started to go against nature and try to prolong our life in unnatural ways. And that's just going to make um, the parasites even more virulent. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, and I also think that there are um, virulent um, mental and emotional parasites that are basically out to destroy us, um, whether we are aware of it or not. So how do we, how do we understand that, um, that we're just part of a, of a machine that is growing us like cancer to make a few people rich, like the elites rich, and then expend it with, right? Mm-hmm. To just die with our bodies. So we're, 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 we're still in Pharaoh's Egypt, where all of us are being, being required to make more bricks with less straw mm-hmm. every single year, every month, every day. I mean, just think about how Amazon works, right? That, that whole culture is more bricks with less straw. And our entire economy is built on that. It is, a, it is a parasitic culture. It makes us be extremely productive, and then it just throws, a, throws us away like, like we're just a useless carcass afterwards. And all of our people are caught up in it, and we have all, every kind of illness, mental, physical, uh, emotional, and, and then it shows up relationally. All of, most of our relationships are deeply wounded yeah. and ill and perverse. So if we can make that connection between... Um, our addictions and habits and our coping mechanisms and the illnesses that we embody with the systems that are uh, basically designed to make us ill so that we are basically generating uh, endless profits and efficiency and productivity at our expense and then before we can benefit from any of that, we just die, right? (laughs) Then we would want to do something different. And I'm just saying that all of our systems in place right now are captive to that and at most coping with it (laughs) you know here's a here's a prayer here's a meditation exercise um, here's a retreat um, whatever you know rather than like dismantling the whole system and while we while we dismantle it on the side we're creating constructive healing communities where we basically get our sanity back Mm. yeah Jin um, that sign me up I'm ready to go. Um, that sounds sounds great. The challenges and costs of leading others in the way of Jesus are high. Ministry life and leadership can be messy, painful, soul-crushing work. 
pastors, church planters, and ministry leaders consistently face the ongoing temptation to care for the lives and hearts of everyone except themselves. But what if ministry leaders had the tools and encouragement to lead from a place of rest and wholeness? What if church planters developed a deep spirituality instead of skimming the surface? What if pastors took care of their bodies and had really meaningful friendships? What if missionaries paid attention to their emotional pain rather than avoiding it? All these reasons are why Matt Alexander started Soul Care Cohorts. Matt leads Soul Care Cohorts each semester for ministry leaders who want to grow in their health and wholeness. Each cohort is 10 sessions long and works through topics like emotional health, relational health, spiritual health, physical health, mental health, and vocational health. You can learn more about the next Soul Care Cohort by checking out the interest form in the show notes of this podcast episode. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. Um, I hear you saying. I hear you saying that, like, f- someone who would get a lot out of underground seminary is someone who has made at least a little bit of this intuitive uh, connection already, yes. right? So when they think about their own soul sickness or their own health problems or whatever, they're able to they're able to realize this isn't just a personal defect inside of me. Yes. This is related to the way that our society functions, the way that relations, the way that I've been formed as a human, the way I think about relationships. Um, this is related to all of that. And underground seminary, I mean, that, the reason I'm excited about it, and sign me up, is um, I think it, it, it sounds like it's going to help to make these connections explicit and then give us something to do mm-hmm. about it, right? Because I, I think... One of the reasons that I've, I, I think as I talk with pastors, one of the reasons it's difficult for them to make these connections is because I feel like in the minds of people who maybe who've been raised inside of the structures, you know, uh, that you're talking about, um, empire and that kind of thing, I think there's this, there's this fear that if I, get, if I allow that these structures are shaping me in, in ways that I cannot control or I don't really have a say over, that, that the only thing that lies on the other side of that door is despair. Um, like that, hmm. that's, there's nothing to do about it. You know, like that I can, what, what can I do? Like if Amazon runs the world and Bezos, you know, like, mm-hmm. like what can I do? And I think, I think that's one reason that people, I think on the other side of that door feels like there's only despair. And then there's this like throwing off of my personal responsibility. Um, so I don't know. I feel like there's a question in there somewhere for me, like, <laughs> sorry, just rambling a little bit, but Jen, I wonder, maybe, maybe here's the question. If somebody's maybe listening to this podcast, um, a lot of Christian leaders listen to our podcast and they're, they're sort of intrigued by some of the things that you say. I think during, uh, at the beginning of the podcast, you said like that racism and white supremacy are 
inherently crippling, I'm paraphrasing, but they're mm-hmm. crippling to our discipleship. We can't mm-hmm. be disciples of Jesus That's unless right. we can see this, at least not in America, you know? And really, this has become a global thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody's like, man, I'm intrigued by that statement, but I don't even know what, where to begin. How, you know, how does that even work, you know? So I don't know if you have uh, some thoughts on like where, maybe they can't come to underground seminary. Maybe that's the first choice, come to underground seminary. Second choice, like what, <laughs> what could somebody do to begin to say like, how do I, how do I learn to see these connections um, and, and learn how to do something constructive so that I do have some hope that like God's at work in the midst of the, the dismantling that I'm seeking to do and also the constructing that I'm seeking to do. Yes. Uh, well, I, I think I feel your question. Um, you know, deeply. Um, there's a phrase in Acts that's uh, where someone says, come and see. And so our seminary is not just a standalone academic institution. Um, it is very much a part of Church of All Nations. Hmm. And over the last uh, seven years, it's very, very much served as the think tank um, to our uh, church as well. So um, if anybody were to come and visit, they would see an entire ecosystem at work here. Uh, Certainly a congregation, but um, eight community houses right around the church uh, where uh, now almost a quarter of our congregation members live uh, in these community houses that we've created. Um, You know, many cars that we share for um, transportation sharing, the 26 raised beds, uh, we've created in the back of the church and the permaculture redesign and transformation of our grounds where we're learning to um, figure out how to um, relate to the land in the way that indigenous people have stewarded for thousands of years. Um, and of course, um, not just the, those things, but we have also launched five for-profit businesses. So um, one of our mottos is, how do we exploit capitalism before they exploit us, right? <laughs> or exploiting capitalism for village renewal. Yeah, um, because making some friends with dishonest wealth is what you're saying. There you go, there yeah. you go. Because we, you can't like live apart from capitalism right now. It's right. just impossible to basically grow your own food enough to sustain you know, life. So we have to work uh, right now alongside the capitalist system, which is why Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah. But... Um, since everything ultimately belongs to God, then we're going to try to do something to create an alternate future. But I think mm-hmm. the dismantling and the creating have to happen have to happen side by side. Yeah. And we're doing a deconstruction and reconstruction all at the same time in one place and in an integrated way. And so I don't think people are going to understand um, Underground Seminary just by going to our website. Mm-hmm. Um, or the papers I've written, or you know anything like that. I mean, like it's so integrated into our overall community here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not perfect, but it is working, and mm-hmm. it is dynamic, mm-hmm. and I believe full of the Holy Spirit. So, if people um, come and see Underground Seminary in its proper context and how it actually functions, then they'll understand. And this is um, one reason why, you know, our maximum enrollment is 12, and um, we already have that. So, you know, I, I kind of hesitated to do this podcast because I, I don't want to, like, get anybody um, excited. I mean, for the first time, we have not even put out there that we're taking students because yeah. we've had such yeah. interest. The first 
two cohorts were four students each. The third cohort was five. And then we just jumped to 12. Mm. Uh, and this is after a one-year sabbatical. And interestingly, you know, because we do whatever it is, you know, we see fit to do. When we first started in 2014, we had in, incorporated a one-year full sabbatical in, into our seventh year. And that seventh year happened to be the year of the coronavirus. <laughs> oh. So we were all just relaxing and, you know, taking a break and having a good time while, you know, most other academic institutions were really in crisis. So uh, I just really believe that, you know, when you do things in the spirit, mm. that things would just flow naturally. And this is also why we do a one cohort at a time model, unlike most institutions where they are doing three cohorts at a time, right? First, second, right. third year. Right. So we accept students every two years. So the students that come, you get total focus and energy and attention on you um, because the, the, there are no grades here. Uh, there's intensive study and formation and discipleship, but there are no grades. So how do we know whether you're fit to graduate? Well, for one, do you understand how Wall Street works? So <laughs> if you cannot understand the connection between uh, Wall Street and uh, the temple economy in Jesus' time, then that means you don't understand the world well enough to be able to be a prophet for our times. Because you cannot prophesy against powers and principalities that you do not understand. Mm. Um, and the other is, have you personally grown and healed? And do you want to offer the, your own healing journey in the last two years um, as a model and then extend that to other people? Yeah. And that requires intensive care and attentiveness and love and advocacy for another human being. Our mm. students get that. We make sure that they, that they get the best housing and food and love and nurture and fellowship and worship. Um, and that they do not go into further debt. We can't do anything about the debt that they bring, and hopefully they don't have any, but we definitely are very, very attentive to our people's financial situation because debt slavery is what leads to wage slavery. Yeah. Um, it's all connected. Mm -hmm. And so um, we have a policy where no student will go into further debt uh, because they do our program. Um, but if they have too much debt, we say, we, we don't accept them. So if, we re if I've rejected any uh, potential students, it has been over debt. Because mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, you, you, you need to like, just get part of your house in order uh, before you do this. Otherwise, you're just piling on uh, problems in your life. And the theological studies should not be an escape from your actual real-world problems. Yeah, yeah Jen. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ben, I want to hear what you're what you're noticing, um, and also Ben, I have to remind you that you're committed to co-pastoring this church with me, and you cannot run off to seminary with Jen. Well, uh, we I have mean, to discern maybe this I could, Maybe we I could pastor the church from Minneapolis. We'll discern it locally. Right. Would that work, I'm sorry, I've created intramural <laughs> conflict here. Uh, uh, no, no, but at least a at least a pilgrimage. I'm hearing you invite me yes. to pilgrim to, to become a pilgrim welcome. and come see uh, what you're doing there. And I've got mm -hmm. family in Minnesota, so. Mm -hmm. I've already I'm already thinking about dates, Matt. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. so I, I'm I'm noticing, Jen, that you focus on some massively important um centers that scripture seems to take really seriously. For instance, money mm -hmm. and land and the ways that we divide ourselves from other people, mm -hmm. whether it be a dividing wall of hostility 
or whether it be gender or whether it be uh, a social construction uh, called race. Uh, and you're, you're naming like things like power, right? And you're naming uh, economic forces like, like mammon, you know, the only God that Jesus really throws down on uh, mm-hmm. in, in the Gospels. Yeah, and I'm sad. noticing, yeah, am I hearing you right? Yes, very well. Like, and these things are, are not ancillary in Scripture, these aren't these aren't in the appendix or the apocrypha or whatever you want to call it. This is like front and center stuff. Mm-hmm. So so if you're listening and you're like, man, Jen and Matt and Ben, they're all off on the deep end. Just just notice this. <laughs> notice this. Mm-hmm. Notice that uh, what Jen is saying is taking what the New Testament says seriously about things like money and possessions and relationships. And the reason it seems radical is because you live in America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, Jen? Mm, absolutely. Uh, I'm noticing. I'm noticing that. I'm also noticing this this really beautiful synergy. Two synergies. One is between the prophetic and the pastoral. Yeah. Right. So that there's this. You really want to care for the heart and soul of a student, but you also want to equip that student to be wise as uh, as a serpent. Yes. Like and to be able to uh, understand the times. Being fully awake and sober-minded, because the days are evil still, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's that, p- prophetic and pastoral. But also, and here's, what, here's why I was really interested in you coming on. There are so many angry people at America, and justifiably so, right, Jen? There are so many angry people, but they, they spin out into cynicism, bitterness, apathy, despair, and then finally just capitulation and sort of this low-level kind of complicity and the shenanigans, and the demonic shenanigans, let's call it. Mm-hmm. But what I really appreciate about what you're doing, your project, is that, you, as you said, there's a reconstruction as we deconstruct. There has to be a, a telos towards which we're going, mm-hmm. rather than we're just reacting against what we hate. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's beautiful, and I think, uh, I think is Trinitarian and um, has new creation all over it in mm-hmm. what you're doing. So I just want to reflect that back, Jim. Thank you. Well, I've always believed that um, a cynic is someone who has lost faith in society and God. Mm. And so therefore cannot really uh, be part of some, creating something new. Mm. Those of us um, who know God and, have, and, and live in God's spirit are actually full of joy. Mm. Um, because there's there's no other way to feel when when you just feel all of this you know like we Korean people call it ki, or that um, others call it chi this life force in the universe. Mm. And very early in my life, when I read about the Holy Spirit, there's such a weak um, pneumatology in the West. Um, I, yeah. I think even in the Eastern Orthodox Church, frankly, mm. uh, it's just it, everything mm. about the Holy Spirit is just too abstract. But I saw early on when I read the Bible that this description of the Holy Spirit sounded very much like the way that my parents and my mentors talked about key, this life force of the universe. Uh, it's, it's not something you control, uh, but it's something that you can sometimes shape and certainly be shaped by. Um, and if we flow with this energy, this God, God's life force, life-giving energy, um, then um, things can just unfold with very little effort and and you you ins- you can inspire people and people are full of energy so that it it feels like 
um, play rather than toil. Mm. Mm. And when you have a whole community um, of people who do ministry as if it were a play and who who um, treat their money, like we have people that, you know, work in for corporations and stuff. And uh, many of them really see it as just a one, you know, pot for mm-hmm. uh, our community to to advance together. And they just see it as like monopoly money because... <laughs> Because look at well, look at the kind of work we do for the yeah. money we make. I mean, yeah. so much of our work is not only nonsense; it's destructive, yeah. and we we keep doing things that earn us money that ultimately it destroys our environment. And we're basically, you know, for the first time in human history, facing the collective mass suicide of the human race. Yeah. And so our people are aware that even as they work for these major corporations and make all this fake money, all money is fake. Right, because it's it's not on gold, it's not on anything anymore. That why not use it for our collective good mm-hmm. instead of hoarding it for their own uh, lonely and alienated and yeah. uh, depressing retirement. Yeah. Um, so th- we're we're providing social security for each other, where mm-hmm. we will say whether we have money or not, we're going to be there for each other. So mm-hmm. this this kind of uh, community where we are committed to each other for life requires a certain kind of pastoral leadership. And the denominational system basically encourages and entices us into an an itinerant ministry system. So for like a United Methodist Church, the itinerancy is kind of built into it, although they're more flexible now. Um, For other denominations, it's not even supposed to be itinerant, but it is by default. Uh, It's not de jure, but it's de facto itinerant. And so when you go from you know four years here, six years there, seven years here, there's no way to build this kind of lifelong commitment to each other, which is really what kinship is. Now, you know, we ministers, you know, have a large role to play in that, but also so many congregations are toxic. Even when they get a good minister, right. um, the toxicity takes over and they can't they can't help themselves and push them out. So we just have a, a, a toxic environment at the congregational, at the pastoral, at the denominational uh, level where we just can't, you know, we just can't get started, basically. And so yeah, I, this, yeah. I think this is why I felt like I had to start a church from scratch, uh, because I couldn't get it going uh, while, while I was an associate pastor in a number of churches for the first 10 years. But someone's got to start, and someone has to say, I'm here for life. This is my watershed. This is my biome. This is my ecosystem. Um that, that is not mine in that way, but this is what I've been called a steward. Sure. Um, and hopefully uh, with the uh, permission and grace of the indigenous people um, who are here first uh, in good relation with them. And then people, when they see that you don't need them, right? Like one, the first thing I say to potential new members is, I just want to be clear, we don't need you. <laughs> um and that actually is what gets them to stay because yeah. they they know that we're not going to, you know, devour them. Mm-hmm. They, they're not needed to feed this institution because, yeah. you know, the local church is an institution after all. Um, yeah. And so when we when we can convey that what all we need is just to live well with the physical earth, our, our mother earth, our father sky and the God who made it all. And we can just flow with a spirit in all this. Um, and if empire comes and notices us and, de- and decides to crucify us, that we do that mm. 
in power. Uh, when they lift us up to humiliate us, like our Lord Jesus, we look down on them and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, these ignoramuses. And that um, in our death, uh, we give people the true power to overwhelm empires, which is fearlessness mm. in the face of the worst that they can mete out. Uh, and in the meantime, right, so we're always prepared for crucifixion or state-sponsored execution, Uh whether by the police or the court system or our, or our um, incarceration system or whatever it is. But in the meantime, show in, um, unconditional love for each other, commitment for life to each other, care for each other's well-being, to be clothed and well-fed and housed um, and taken care of into old age, that we will demonstrate that kind of commitment to each other for life then who knows if, you know, like, we don't have a model here. We just love each other. And then we just figure things out because we love each other. And we're, we want each, you know, each other's lives to be better. We want everybody to get out of debt, for instance. Mm. Uh, we want not everyone to own their own house or own their own car, to, to like, re live smaller lives if possible. Uh, mm -hmm. I've told my children, you know, we live in a big house. Like, this should be the biggest house you ever live in. This house is not our dream. This is your grandparents' dream for their children. Mm -hmm. And we just, you know, didn't know what we were doing. And here we are. This is not our dream for you. Mm -hmm. You've got to live in a way that makes sense for all 8 billion people and all the other, uh, you know, uh, creation of God on this planet. Yeah. And we're just trying to do our seminary in a way that actually makes sense, like total sense, where all of us can live on this planet in a good way. Yeah, man, that's a beautiful uh, that's a beautiful vision, Jin. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with us. Um, really, really compelling. And I, I just want to reiterate, you know, what Matt said uh, earlier that um, I think. I think you are giving us a good model. Pardon my dog, who's really, really excited about uh, <laughs> underground seminary? across the street. Was oh. That? oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's it. That, that, I was misinterpreting what she was saying. I thought she was mm. saying dangerous man out front, but she was mm. saying hooray for underground seminary. <laughs> um, no, but I, uh, it's really compelling. And I just want to like, highlight again, I guess, what Matt, what Matt said is it, noticing in what you're modeling for us, um, something that is so needed and so helpful right now is the combination of being able to speak very clearly, very prophetically against the, the powers and the principalities and these things that keep us enslaved and um, just live in uh, a sense of joy, a sense of gratitude, for all that God is doing and, and kind of to, to be able to do those things at the same time feels like, man, that's, I want to be, I want to be like that when I grow up. So mm -hmm. I appreciate you um, giving us a picture of that. Yeah. Amen. Jim, we are running against the, um, bumping up against the clock here. And I know I mentioned uh, a church and a seminary website. Where can people go to check out the seminary that's full and they can't go to, where would they go to look at that? <laughs> Our uh, seminary website is undergroundsem.org, and our church website is candu.org. Which is so really simple, C-A-N-D-O.org. Yep, we'll C-A-N-D-O.org and undergroundsem.org. Can do. Yeah. Is that, it, it, can I ask, it, is that just mean like that, that's the colloquial phrase, can do? Or uh, we do say that around here, but it actually <laughs> means um, 
Church of All Nations Discipling for Outreach. Ah, very good. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. there it is. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I was like, I was like, is that is that a nifty mm-hmm. little phrase or okay? It's an it, it makes sense. It's an acronym. Uh, yeah. Jen, if people want to connect with you on social media and uh, interact with you, where can they find you? Oh, they can find me um, on Twitter at um, at Jen PCUSA. Um, I still have my denomination affiliation there, or on Facebook. Um, I I guess. If you type in Jen S. Kim and um, Church of All Nations or Minneapolis, I think you can find me that way. Yep. Okay. Jen, thank you so much. This was a delight and a treasure to be with you today. We appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Uh, it's been fun to talk with you guys. Very thoughtful um, questions and conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.